please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, a story that I'm sure many of you are very familiar with and yet has so much in it to instruct us and teach us. Uh, I was praying this morning from Psalm 63, uh, go through the psalm, a different psalm every morning and every night, and I was struck particularly in Psalm 63 where the psalmist talks about coming into the sanctuary and beholding God in his power and his glory. And I just was praying, thinking about worship and what we do every Sunday as we come together, that, that we want to behold God in his power and his glory. So, so as we read the scriptures and as we work through this today, pray for yourself that God would help you to behold him in his power and in his glory this morning. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word to us? Beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we look to you now for a divine word that would nourish us. Feed us, O God, with your son, the living word. From child to the oldest here, awaken all of us to see and behold your power and your glory. We pray this in the name of the risen son, Jesus. Amen. may be seated. March 15th, 44 B.C. Oh, I hear some, mm. (laughs) Were you there? (laughs) On March 15th, 44 B.C., 
This is a day that would rock the world, as some of you may have an inkling. On that fateful day, Julius Caesar was assassinated. Roll would then eventually pass to his heir, who became known as <laughs> Caesar Augustus. Yes, Caesar Augustus. Within, within a few months of Julius's death in July, uh, the world was kind of caught off guard and, and brought to attention by an extremely bright comment that for seven days was shooting through the sky, particularly over Rome. This comment was interpreted as a sign that Julius, who had been assassinated, that Julius was now divine. Two years later, the Roman Senate agreed and made it official. Julius Caesar was a god. So what then of his heir, Caesar Augustus? Well, if, if Julius was a god, Augustus must have been what? The son of God. We find evidence that, that soon after this happens, uh, the title kind of son of God for Augustus is found on coins. It's found in inscriptions. It's found on portraits and, and so forth. And then stories kind of began circulating uh, about how perhaps he had had some kind of divine birth himself. This title, Son of God, became synonymous with the divine right of rule. And as Augustus grabs, grabs onto power, as he grabs power, the empire kind of begins reorganizing itself around the emperor as son of God. He becomes the center of everything. Now, why is this important? It's not a history class. Keep in mind that all of this occurs just 30 or 40 years before the birth of Jesus. Herod the Great as an Israeli tour guide used to always say, the king we love to hate, Herod the Great cashed in on this. Coming to power at nearly the same hour that Augustus does, Herod then builds three temples to Augustus, the son of God. And most prominent of these is one at Caesarea Maritima, which is right on the coast of Israel, and it's the main port of entry for all who are coming from abroad. So everybody who comes from abroad and comes into Judea comes to this port. Everyone who comes in sees immediately this temple to Augustus, son of God. It was clear, it was clear who reigned in Judea. Caesar Augustus. So people... People like Mary here in our text, Mary in humble Nazareth, is reminded every day of Augustus and Roman rule. Remember, the Jews were not independent. Their half-Jew King Herod was, was a sellout to Roman imperialism. 
The Romans were especially interested in the fertile Galilean region where Nazareth lays. Crops and property were regularly taken as taxes to feed the the very soldiers that the Jews feared and hated and despised. In the midst of all this, you have to imagine that they're, they're asking Mary's hometown, asking things like, where's the God of Israel? The horizon looks bleak. Their, their hopes and their stories just look impossible because the Roman son of God rules over them. But then an angel shows up. Look at verse 26. Now in our text. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel is no ordinary angel. His his presence would have startled any person who knows their scriptures and their sacred stories. He, he appears, of course, just before this passage, you may be familiar, when he appears to Zechariah, right? And he tells Zechariah that he's going to have a son and you're going to name him John. But before that, Gabriel appears nowhere else in the scriptures except for one place. Do you know where? Colleen's thinking right now. Daniel. The book of Daniel. Daniel. The, in the Old Testament, this period in which the people of God are in exile in Babylon and in the Persia area. In Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9, Gabriel shows up in response to Daniel's pleas for forgiveness of his people. He pleads with God, forgive us our sins and and send us home. Do something, rescue us from this place. And so he asks God to, to lift the pain and the persecution of his people. And then Gabriel shows up. And he says to Daniel that in the last days, in the last days, God will act for the sake of his name and for the sake of the people who bear his name. Fast forward to Luke. What what Luke is saying here in his gospel is nothing short of the last days are here, Mary. It's it's kind of like in the the Lord of the Rings where, uh, if you remember, Gandalf is, is seemingly killed. But then later, right, he, he appears on the hillside after people thought he was dead. And there's a battle going on down at the bottom of the hill. And, and suddenly, as, as people see him on the horse, this hope just kind of flows down the hill where the battle's going very badly. Gabriel has showed up in Luke. God must be on the move. And and he shows up and he has a message for a young girl, a virgin. Verse 28. And he, that's Gabriel, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. No kidding. This this angelic messenger says to a girl in Nazareth during the Roman occupation, the Lord is with you. What? He is? How so? Looking around, uh, of course Mary was greatly troubled and, and confused. She, she grows up in a world of pain. She grows up in a world in which the promises are empty. She's like Naomi, who, who leaves her home and is just kind of like, this is not what you promised to us. Have you ever walked through something painful and, and heard these words kind of spoken to you? The Lord is with you. And perhaps, perhaps you kind of quietly reply, yes, yes, he is, praise God. But then you mumble to yourself, if one more person says that, <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's your response today, feeling like, how is the Lord with me? God might seem really absent from you. And I, I wonder if that's kind of maybe what is going on in the back of Mary's head as she's confused and perplexed, like, what, what is all this? It surely was the response of the communities struggling with why God seemed so distant in their trial under the Romans. But this is not all Gabriel has to say, is it? He goes on in verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. She has has plenty of reasons to be fearful and anxious as an angel is staring at her. What does the future hold? Where does it go? How, how will we get through such and such trial? You know, have you laid in bed at night with your, your mind kind of racing, asking these kinds of questions? But then God here comes through Gabriel and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In Christ, you have found favor before God. He has not abandoned you. In the case of Mary, he has not abandoned your people. Indeed, uh, every time in Scripture when someone is told that they have found favor with God, every time it is a signal that God is about to do something truly profound. The first time it happens is when Noah hears these words in Genesis chapter 6. And then what does God do? <laughs> he, he carries his people through the floodwaters in victorious salvation. What Gabriel proceeds to say in verses 31 through 33 would have stunned Mary. Look what he says after you have found favor with God. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is, this is explosive language. You know, let me give you a little, 
a little life tip. This is free, not part of the cost of the sermon. Uh, when, <laughs> when you are under the thumb of Rome and the Son of God is emperor, you don't go around saying things like the throne of David and having a son who will sit on it forever. And yet, Gabriel doesn't hesitate this with this message. Mary, you're going to have a baby. And oh, he's going to be great. Indeed, he's going to be a son in the lineage of the greatest person in all of Israelite history, David. You, you have to think, if you kind of put yourself into Mary's shoes as she's experiencing this, you have to think for Mary... Her, her mind must be exploding at this point. Here she's a, she's a peasant. She's poor. She's 12 and a half or 13, living, living in the back country of Galilee, which, which the Romans own. And yet, at these words, her mind is just suddenly stirred up by images of all the stories she had been told by her elders. Stories like in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God comes to King David through the prophet Nathan, promises to King David that a member of his house will rule as son forever. Or or maybe the words of Psalm 89 kind of dance around in her mind. Psalm 89 begins, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. It's like Gabriel's words to Mary kind of grab hold of the story of the Old Testament and and pulls them, yanks them forward, and, and then wraps them around this baby and says, here it is. All that you've been waiting for. The the night is over. The dawn has come. Your suffering has been heard by God himself. And he's now ready to act. Forget about the, the house of Caesar. There's a new house in town. That of Jacob. The, the throne of David. And for Luke's original readers... And for us today, this message is still ringing true. God has shown up. And the promises that stretch all the way back to Abraham and Moses and David, these are all actually coming into being embodied in the person of Jesus. This is really happening This is more real and more true than anything else in your life right now. But then Mary says, wait a minute. How can this be? Mary was young, but uh, not that young 
to not understand her situation. She knew it took a mommy and a daddy to have a baby. She had had the talk. Don't worry. Gabriel's response to her question of, how can this be? How's this going to happen? Gabriel's response to that brings the entire story to a crescendo unlike anything in Scripture that has come before. Don't don't let your uh, familiarity with this story dull the impact of what's happening. Okay, so hear these words just as she's going through all of this and, and Gabriel is speaking to her. Here's how Gabriel responds as she's trying to figure this out. He says to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is no normal birth. It's also not some uh, mythological, weird relationship between a God and a girl. Rather, somehow, mysteriously, the creative power of the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. The creative power just does something. The the God who created the heavens and the earth by his word. The God who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. This God powerfully creates life in Mary's womb. And as the angel goes on to say in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. See, the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, sees and hears his people's plight. He hears your plight and my plight. And then then he acts. He acts in a way, though, that no one could have prepared his people for. His answer to all the unresolved tensions in the Old Testament, all the anxious waiting and all the pleas to God is to shock the world with a baby. But not just any baby. This one will be called holy. And don't think here of of, uh, moral purity, though that's, of course, true uh, of Jesus Holy instead means that that this one belongs exclusively to the realm of God himself. But even that's not enough. He's not just holy. He's something far more dangerous, far more subversive. What does verse 35 say he is? The Son of God. The Son of God. Let let those words sink on you for a minute. The Son of God. Here's, Here's Mary living under the reign of Caesar Augustus, the Son of God. The whole Roman world reorganized around his rule, his rule which he claims has has divine legitimacy. 
a son of God. Then this angel comes along and says to Mary, this child she's going to have will be called the son of God. Treason. This is treason in the Roman world. See, the virgin birth, or really better be better said, the, the uh, virgin conception, it is, this is not just a, an esoteric doctrine in the wings of the church. As son of God, the, the birth of Jesus confronts head-on the entire Roman propaganda machine like nothing before. And, and it still confronts our modern world today. Because it's asking, who really is the Son of God? Caesar? Or Jesus? Who has, it's asking, who has the, the, the uh, legitimate divine claim to rule our lives? You? Or Jesus? The God of Israel hears the cries of his people, like back when they were enslaved in Egypt. He takes Caesar's reorganization around himself and and he just kind of flicks it away with his finger. Then God comes along and he reorganizes all of the cosmos, all of space and time around his son in direct contradiction to the powers that be. And, And in the midst of doing that, he brings to fulfillment all the hopes and all the dreams that were broken For his people. Perhaps more than any story in the Bible, the Annunciation story speaks a word of hope to the most fledgling, despaired person, saying that the real Son of God has come. Unlike his his imitator in Rome, or all the other imitators that have have tried to do what only he could do. Jesus, the Son of God, rules, and he reigns. Remember what Gabriel said in verse 32, when he said, He is great, the Son of the Most High, reigning forever. His kingdom will have no end. Glorious, exalted. Don't. Don't fall for imitators. Don't settle for anything less than divine rule. Amazingly, here in in Luke 1, we see really two streams of of the Son of God coming together. We see, on the one hand, the stream of of the Davidic Son, who fulfills all the story of the Old Testament, and then the stream of the divine Roman ruler. And these coalesce together, according to Luke, in one person. Jesus, the Son of God. The only truly human and truly divine person to step foot on the planet. Ready to fight on the behalf of his people. For you. For you and me. So how do, how do we respond to such a, a staggering claim in this, in this story, this true story? I think, I think that Luke wants us to follow Mary's example. Look at how 
Mary responds again to this staggering claim. Don't underestimate just how her mind's just exploding as she's hearing this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary suddenly reorients herself around the rule of the true Son of God. She she trusts God's plan for the world and how her little life fits within that plan. She trusts God in that. See, the God of Israel, she realizes, he sees the big picture. Caesar does not. You do not. And, and so we need to be asking ourselves, kind of like Mary, how does, how does my life fit into the rule and reign of Jesus, the Son of God? This is a far more important question than what, what college am I going to go to? Or what curriculum am I going to use for my kids? Or what what will retirement look like? Or, or even who am I going to marry? Ask instead, how does my life fit into this rule, in this reign of Jesus? And don't do that on your own. Ask those who are wise and godly people that he has put in your life right around you, who know you, to help you figure this out. So are you oriented around his reign? Or are you oriented around the reign of an imposter? And that imposter might be modern politics. It might be a career. It might be that you have, have kind of written the script for your life or maybe the script for your children and grandchildren and, and not even God is allowed to mess with it. Well, he messed with Mary's. There's a lot going on here in Luke 1, 26 through 38. A lot that we just, we just don't have time to, to touch on. But you can be sure of this. No matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter what concerns or anxieties you're facing, Luke 1 tells us God has heard you. He sent Gabriel to announce that he is right now in this very moment in the process of reorienting all of the cosmos around his son, the only divine ruler. And he urges, he urges you and he urges me to find our place in his reign, to become like Mary and to say with her, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, O God. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you that you have heard the cries of your people and you answered through the Son of God. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your hope upon us by the power of your Spirit. 
and that in that you would reorient us around the reign of God and we would see our lives in light of something so much bigger and that we would trust you as you continue to lead us to your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.